Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back out of his seat. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center. And he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to our show. This week, we'll sit down with one Brad Miller. We'll visit with Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun. Look at the minors with Durham manager Jared Sandberg. Plus, we'll look at the national scene with Richard Justice of MLB.com. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our featured guest this week is shortstop Brad Miller. Brad, welcome to the program. First, tell me what it's been like. Here we are a few months into the season. Your adjustment to coming from Seattle to the Rays now you've had close to half a year. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, um, you know, getting to know a whole whole new organization, group of guys has been been pretty good. Everybody's been really welcoming and, um, you know, I'm enjoying it. So um, we, we have a really good group of guys and, you know, we, we have uh, our best baseball ahead of us, I think. When you found out you were coming this close to home, what did it mean to you? Um, you know, I, I was excited for the opportunity. You know, I think, um, you know, the Rays – definitely welcomed me with open arms from day one and, and told me they you know they believed in me so that was huge and also you know being close to home is pretty cool having you know it be so convenient for my family and, and friends to come down and see me. I'm sure when you got the news you probably got your fair share of texts. How many tickets have you been asked of since coming or maybe not in terms of number but has been more or less than you anticipated when you got dealt here? Um, I, I think, uh, you know, it was definitely exciting when I got traded, you know, so everybody kind of checking in. But, um, you know, my parents, I'm lucky. My parents were able to come to a lot of the games uh, when we were uh, on the road in Seattle. So tickets haven't been too crazy. Um, you know, I let my dad kind of take care of all that and, and uh, you know, so I can just focus on baseball. So that's been that's been a big relief. It seems that you've gotten better as the year has gone on. Was there a point, I know you said they welcomed you with open open arms, but it's natural to maybe try and do a little too much once the regular season starts. When did you feel totally comfortable from that realm? Because I think your play has gotten better each as each passing day. Um, I think uh, the biggest thing when you start, like you said, you want to get off to a good start regardless of, you know, your situation. And, uh, you know, when you don't, I think you want to kind of do too much. But, you know, that's, that's what I'm learning. You know, it's a long year. And, um, you know, there's certain things you got to do as far as hitting and defensively. You got to put yourself in good positions. And, um, you know, when you do that more consistently, I think the, the results kind of come with it. What's been the biggest change or adjustment that you had to make in coming to this organization? Obviously, they welcomed you, but it is a bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing is, is getting comfortable with everybody. But, uh, you know, just, just knowing myself, I've learned, you know, through, through the ups and the downs of the past couple of years, I've learned a lot about... Um, you know, who I am as a player, what works for me, what doesn't. So I think, you know, the, the ongoing battle is always just battling with consistency, you know, being able to implement, um, you know, those certain things every day and, and have the performance to go with it. How about playing on turf? Because that's one thing you didn't do in Seattle. Is it much of an adjustment for an infielder? And if so, what's the biggest part of that? Yeah, I really don't, I really don't notice it too much, honestly. Um, this is a great infield. Um, you know, I really like playing here in the past when we would come I didn't think it was 
too big of a difference from from natural grass but uh you know they, they're very conscious of it our trainers and everything you know they don't want us running around too much out here you know if we have to run or something we'll get it done on the road but um it hasn't been awesome I, the one thing i really like about playing here half the time is you know we're inside you know it's 70 degrees every day no wind you know no sun so it's uh it's perfect it's really good conditions is it faster um than grass or the hops truer i mean and and isn't an adjustment then when you go back to grass um i really don't notice too much um it, it might be i think it honestly is pretty neutral you know it's not it's not overly fast you know there's there's some places like miami where miami is really fast and and others like new york and boston up north are a little slower so each uh, each field kind of has its own um characteristics but uh you know it, it's good to that we have the familiarity with it here you mentioned you know, comfort level, knowing yourself. What do you know now about yourself and who are you? Um, you know, I think, I think I got to play with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. You know, I find out, you know, when I'm, when I'm, uh, you know, a little, little angry and a little, uh, you know, mad, I, I, I tend to, you know, lock in a little extra. So I think that's something for me is, is going out there and always being hungry and always, uh, you know, trying to do something today. Um, you know, I think, in baseball, we can focus on the past a lot, but it really, really doesn't mean anything. So, um, you know, coming out there with that fire every day definitely helps my performance. So when you're looking for that motivation or that chip, mm-hmm. what do you look for to use to, because sometimes it has to be manufactured when you're playing that many games. For sure. And, and that's, that's the funny thing about baseball is, you know, it, it's so mental. So I think we have to play little mind games with each other and, uh, you know, talk ourselves into some things sometimes. And, you know, whatever gets the job done is kind of, uh, you know, it definitely works. Is there one you can share with us that you've used to manufacture something? Um, nothing crazy. Um, you know, teammates when you're doing an interview that are, you know, really bad at trying to get you, you know, not very focused, but I'm, I'm locked in, so it doesn't even matter. That's good to know. Again, Brad Miller with us on This Week in Rays Baseball. When you were growing up in the Orlando area, what got you inspired to play the game? What got you excited about baseball? I think, you know, my family, you know, my dad, you know, I grew up in a baseball family. He has, you know, a love for the game. And, uh, you know, just growing up, I was I was exposed to it. And it was something that, you know, I loved and, and you know, wanted to get involved with. And they were always so supportive of me. So, uh um, you know, obviously in Florida, we got to play year round and that's something I always did. You know, I mixed in a little bit of basketball or some other sports, but I was pretty much, you know, baseball all the time. Shortstop all the time? Yep, pretty much. What, who was the shortstop you grew up watching and wanting to be like when you were a kid? I think, I mean, Derek Jeter, that was, that was the guy. Once I realized what a shortstop was and what it meant to be a shortstop and, and a leader, um, I think, you know, you, you didn't have to look any further than, uh, than Derek Jeter. Because you grew up not far from Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. So I was curious if you ever... Yeah, that was my guy, Ken Griffey Jr., um, being a left-handed hitter. I mean, everybody my age, I'm pretty sure it was either Ken Griffey Jr. or Chipper Jones, um, you know, where I was from. So he was uh, he was pretty special. I didn't. That's why I was curious if it was always center shortstop, where you ever wanted to be a center fielder too. No, no, yeah, I just always always grew up playing short, but uh, you know, definitely wanted to hit some left-handed homers like Griffey. What interaction, if any, did you have with him growing up, and what are your greatest memories of that? I didn't – his son played at the same Little League as I did, so I saw him there a couple times, but I didn't get to meet him until I was with the Mariners, actually, um, in the big leagues. And, 
we're just talking, you know, about, about back home, about Windermere, like, you know, just a normal dude. And I was super, super intimidated, but he is the biggest prankster and, 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 you know, goofy guy. So it was, it was pretty cool. Something I'll never forget. So it lived up to expectations or more? Oh yeah. Every, every time I talked to him or would see him in the clubhouse, I'm like, all right, I'm just casually saying hi to Ken Griffey Jr. Or talking to him. And he's, you know, treating me like, you know, somebody he's played with forever. So, uh, he, he's, he's great. You mentioned your dad. I mean, he played college baseball. Your sister was a pretty good softball player, too. Was there any sibling rivalry growing up or supportive? How would you describe it? Very, you know, supportive. I went to, you know, all her games, and she probably sat through way too many baseball games. But, um, yeah, you know, she ended up playing softball, you know, for, for a while and basketball in high school. And I was definitely the little brother that was there running around and, and watching her. You sound like you're somewhat of a historian of the game. Would that be fair to say, based on the fact that you were a junior fan and you grew up on the game? And if so, you know, what are are you? Do you think I'm a baseball rat? Yeah, that's you know they they give me a hard time in there. But uh, yeah, you know, if guys ask me questions about something, if I don't know it, I'll usually just make it up, and they kind of believe me because you know I've been I've I've got I've gained some credibility. Best best story you've made up? Oh shoot, I, I don't know. You can share. I don't know. I, you know, just kind of whatever comes to mind, and then I'll have to, I'll have to admit to it later. You know, I don't want, I don't want them to, you know, Google fact check me or something. You haven't gotten someone to fall for it and led to a prank or anything like nope. that. You haven't returned the favor. Nope, nothing crazy. L- Logan Morrison, we had him on uh, on our last show, and you know, I talked to him about his professionalism during what was certainly a very, very difficult stretch. How much has it helped you to have a guy you're familiar with when you came over here? Because most guys get traded and don't have that. No doubt. Um, you know, Logan and Farquhar, and then obviously having a couple other guys here um, that I played with with the Mariners. It's huge. You know, they, they know what I'm all about. I know what they're they're all about. And, um, you know, Logan just, just being, you know, a more experienced player, he's, you know, kind of a guy who's, seen you know more than I have is good to see you know how he handles himself through the ups and the downs same with Longo Logan you know Forsyth a bunch of these guys is it's really big for for a young player and a guy to see how to do things the right way on the field a couple weeks ago it was Orlando that was recognized Mm -hmm. here and and the Rays helped contribute three hundred thousand dollars to the victims fund i'm curious what that meant to you and and being you know from that area yeah it was special you know obviously uh you know the any of the support that we could have given you know was huge and and the rays doing this was huge you know just to kind of help out in a a time of need and time of tragedy and um definitely that night it was uh, i think we were you know all inspired out there and uh it was pretty cool to to get to to wear the orlando rays hat and and you know show our support You've had probably some special moments in your career. That was, in, you know, certainly had to rank up there. What are some of your best moments on the field? Oh, I think just thinking real quick, um, last year uh, getting to play in a no-hitter, it was pretty cool. Iwakuma threw a no-hitter in Seattle. Um, you know, moments like that, I remember, you know, where you're just so just pulling for one of your teammates so much. Um you know, any walk-off win is always fun. Um, you know, getting a walk-off win here, Kurt hit the single. I remember that was in, in one of my, uh, I guess, first 20 games here. Just just a lot of them. But but the no-hitter was pretty cool because that's obviously doesn't happen every day. And, and seeing somebody go out and dominate it was against the Orioles too. I mean, great great offensive lineup. Um, that was pretty pretty special. Chatting with Brad Miller on this weekend race baseball. And Brad, you know, you mentioned trying to kind of 
get yourself psyched up or motivating yourself carrying a chip from game to game to, to allow you to focus. You can't be baseball 24-7. So when you leave the field to relax, what kind of things do you like to do? Um, big TV show guy. You know, I like to, like to watch TV shows, binge watch, you know, some series and, uh, and then come here to the field and talk about it with the guys. You know, kind of gives you something just, just to kind of relax and, uh, you know, get your mind off baseball and, and rest up. Favorite TV series then? Game of Thrones. You're you're addicted? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the best show on TV for sure. So if a couple of years from now, because I'm sure you've heard there, you know, it may they're be done. done. Yeah. So what's what's next but, in line? I don't want to think about that. You know, I just want to ride the wave while I can. But I got I have a, a solid stable of TV shows in rotation right now. So uh, I'm set. I got some depth. Since you're the clubhouse expert, then it sounds like give me give me your your depth chart after after number one. What's two and three? Well, Steve Pierce is also pretty. I mean, that guy's pretty locked in. He he's probably might be the expert, but other ones, um, Silicon Valley is awesome. Modern Family, Breaking Bad, um, Bloodline is a good one. Um, also, The Leftovers. There's a anything HBO does is pretty good, and Netflix you can you can get lost for sure. Well, hopefully you continue to stay as locked in on the field as you are with those shows, and hopefully continued success during the course of this 2016 season. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Brad Miller on this week in Rays baseball. We continue right after this on the Rays baseball network. Welcome back to this week in Rays baseball. Neil Solon's with you, joining you from the Rays radio studio across from Gate One, and joining us right now to discuss the week gone by from the main booth. The ballpark is Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun. BA, thanks for a few minutes. Uh, Neil, uh, thanks for having me again. But instead of talking about last week, can we talk about maybe what's going to happen this week in in a positive light? Let's try and do that. Can well, let's let's kind of mix and match, and we'll start with yesterday and Blake Snell because I thought what he said after the game was maybe more important than what he did during, and the fact that he said I need to pitch inside more to make my off-speed stuff work, and there is more in the tank, and I need to throw more quality strikes, and I thought that was about as accountable a post-game as I've heard during the course of the season, without a doubt, absolutely without a doubt, and and that's what will allow Blake Snell to to reach his ceiling because let's let's face it. Blake Snell's ceiling is very, very high. Tall, lanky, left-hander with his kind of stuff. He's got the, the, the stuff to, to be able to go out and dominate each and every time he takes them out. Now when you combine it with a mindset that says, I'm not good enough right now. I need to get better. I need to be more efficient. And this is how I'm going to go about doing it. I love that. I love that he has a plan, and I love that that plan involves pitching inside. We don't see that a whole lot uh, mm-hmm. around the league right now. Guys pitching inside, you know, for strikes and for effect to move guys off the plate to make them uncomfortable. There's nothing worse than a hitter getting into the batter's box and having a comfortable at bat. And all of a sudden, you see those pitches that we talk about. Well, that was a pretty good pitch. You know, it was a couple inches off the plate. It was down, but they're diving out there so aggressively that they're able to get to it and hurt you and a lot of times that's because you don't pitch in enough so I think if a guy like Blake Snell goes out there with the mindset that that whole plate is mine inside outside up and down with his kind of stuff and continues to work on his craft I can't wait to see what he can become and not only that I I think the is is you would probably agree BA with all the time you spent playing at the big league level that how important is it for a guy to really have a a really good ability to self-evaluate and and realize what he needs to improve on Neil, you know, it really it goes outside the game of baseball. It really is in everybody's job. Anything that you do, 
If you are not an honest self-evaluator, you will fail. You will, ne- or, or, or at the very worst, you will fail. At the very minimum, you will be mediocre and never really get any better because you can't look in the mirror and say, you know what? I need to get better. And I know that maybe there's some circumstances that are working against me. I got to find a way to deal with that. I've got to find a way to, to supersede that and to be able to overcome that. And if you cannot honestly self-evaluate yourself and, and look at where you need to improve, take accountability, take responsibility, you will never achieve what you're capable of. And I don't care if you're a plumber. I don't care if you're a baseball player, football, basketball teacher. It doesn't really matter. It, that accountability it, it, it means everything. And so to hear Blake Snell talk like that lets you know this kid's got a chance. Well, his locker is next to Alex Cobb, and Alex threw another bullpen earlier this morning, is close to starting a rehab assignment. Would it be fair to say that he's the guy that maybe the Rays have missed of all the injured players this year? I, I Sure. I mean, first of all, on the mound, you know, what Alex Cobb brings to the mound as far as being able to go out and, and pitch deep into games, pitch winning baseball, be effective and lead his team to victory in that way, but also what he brings from the example that he sets. I mean, he is a bulldog. He's not an excuse maker. He's a guy that's going to accept responsibility. He's going to work the right way. He's going to uh, talk the right way. Um, you know, he's just one of those guys. He's a pro. You know, he's a throwback. He's a guy that when I think about some of the pitchers uh, that I you know, was fortunate enough to play with and teams that I played on, Alex Cobb would have fit in very nicely on those teams because he's a throwback type of player, old school, gritty, and um, you know, just a, a great example for, for any pitcher uh, to look up to, especially a starting pitcher. And I don't think it's any coincidence at all that Blake Snell is lockered up next to Alex Cobb. That is by design for sure. And hopefully starts that rehab real soon. Again, Alex threw another bullpen this morning. Uh, you mentioned you don't want to talk much about what happened this week, but the team has dropped 15 of 17 right now. From a player standpoint, how difficult is that mentally to kind of get beyond that and just worry about today? It's very difficult. It, there's no question. It's very difficult. It's like, you know, when you come into the clubhouse, you know, whether it's on the road or, or here at home, you walk in and, and it's just a, 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 you know, a remembrance of bad feelings from the night before, the night before that, the night before that. It's very difficult and it takes mentally tough guys and a mentally tough team, a very resilient team to be able to overcome that. And I think the way that you do that is you, you know, we go back to the self-evaluation. What can I do uh, to make this team better? And a lot of times that's just do your job. I mean, do your job and do it well. So what do I need to improve on? You know, is it extra BP? Is it more ground balls? Is it working on an off-speed pitch, uh, you know, in the in my bullpen? I mean, what is it? What do I need to do to get better? And you focus on what you need to do, take care of your business, and really it comes down to one pitch at a time if you're a pitcher it comes down you know if you're a fielder you're just you're locking in on on every single pitch that's delivered and getting ready to to make a move and focusing on on what you can do to to help the team and and trying to make it as simple as possible Uh, because you know that cloud like I said it tends to hang over you when you get to uh, the number of losses that this team has in the last you know two and a half three weeks Um, it's very difficult to to deal with but you've got to be mentally tough and you've just got to keep plugging away and understand 
you know, there, there's no time off. Baseball is an every single day, um, you know, occurrence. And so you're going to have to, to come out and keep plugging away. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you. Um, how tough are you going to be and what kind of adjustments will you make to, to get back on the winning side? So, B.A., we got about a minute on this. So Chris Archer tries to start that today. What does Chris need to do in your mind to be able to get the ball rolling for him? Well, first of all, it starts with quick starts. You know, we, we, it's well documented his first inning struggles. So, you know, that's where maybe you need to make an adjustment in how you warm up before a game. I know Chris has said, listen, I've been doing this the same way for years, um, and that's fine, but but obviously the first inning has, has been an issue. So um, a quick start for him to come out ready to go because his quick starts are not because he doesn't have a very good game plan put together. Most of the time when he struggled early on, it's because the command isn't there. So he's got to refine that command in the bullpen, maybe simulate a couple of hitters, maybe simulate an inning uh, before he comes into the game, and then quick start because once that happens, then he tends to be able to settle in in the middle part of the game and let his stuff go to work, and, and outside of that, execute pitches. Be consistent with your execution. That's what we saw early on last year from Chris Archer when he dominated uh, Major League Baseball. And since then, some of that command has you know, gone away a little bit. The fastball command has not been as good. Um, and that, therefore, the off-speed pitches haven't been as effective or sharp. And so that's where he's run into some trouble. So I think if he has a quick start and good fastball command, everything will fall into place and he gives you a chance to, to have a real nice outing and, and get out of this series with a win. B.A., thanks again as usual. Good stuff. Enjoy the game. All right. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate it. That's Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. This is Tampa Bay Sports Radio. To the wall. Gone. 620 WDAE St. Petersburg and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. Neil Solon's with you on this week in Rays Baseball. Right now it's time to take a look at the Rays minor league system. Triple-A Durham had two players named to the Triple-A All-Star game. And joining us to chat about it, Bulls manager Jared Sandberg, joining us from Norfolk, Virginia. Jared, thanks very much for a few minutes. Yeah, not a problem, Neil. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the two All-Stars, Austin Pruitt and Dylan Floro. What has made each of their seasons special and then deserving of the opportunity to play in an All-Star game? Yeah, it's pretty exciting for the, both those guys. Uh, I'll start with Dylan Floro. He, you know, a uh, different role this year. Last year, late in the season, he was moved to the bullpen, and uh, he's excelled coming out of the bullpen this year. He's pitching a couple different roles for us, um, some long relief, uh, multi-inning stints. Uh, he's, he's been at the back end of the games, closing out games as a closer. Um, and now here recently, he's back to a multi-inning relief kind of guy. And, you know, he's a strike thrower, um, you know, an above-average sinker. And uh, is able to get the ground ball when he needs to, but he's also uh, learned how to pitch and expand the zone when he needs to. Because, um, uh, like we saw yesterday, he came in the game and the first uh, I think eight strikes that he threw were all swung at. So you know the league's starting to understand he's a strike thrower, and and uh, once he learns to uh, and understand and watch the game and, and know when the air team's swinging, that he can expand the zone with his, his power sinker and, and also his uh, his cutter. His cutters uh, has helped help him out a lot. But he's had a uh, fantastic season, and for him to make the All Star team is uh, is pretty special. And then Austin Pruitt, uh, you know, first year Triple A, uh, he's come in again, another strike thrower. Um, not the most intimidating guy out there on the mound, but uh, he comes in and throws strikes with all his pitches. Um, you know, he's 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 pitched very very well for us as well, and uh, he's he's got a cutter, curveball, and changeup, and you know he's throwing the changeup to righties, and and it's uh, it's been pretty cool to watch. Uh, 
that developed. But uh, you know, just a guy that goes out and pitches and kind of whole hum, and all of a sudden, you know, he's uh, he's in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning, and, and he can really pitch. You know, the, the thing for Austin uh, recently, and, and maybe over the course of the season this year, he's, he's been giving up the home run, and uh, when he keeps the ball in the ballpark, he's been uh, he's been really really good. Good stuff on both those guys. You've had some guys join you too. Obviously, with all the injuries the Rays have had, you've had some guys promoted from Double A. Uh, some because of injury and some because they're deserving of the chance. And it looks like Jake Freya has put together, uh, aside from some rain in Norfolk, which interrupted one of his starts, two pretty good outings starting at the AAA level. Yeah, I mean, for him to come up uh, to AAA and do what he's done so far, I think it's nine innings so far, uh, hasn't given up a run. Uh, I think it's a strikeout per inning so far. Uh, the, the biggest issue is going to be fastball command, and, and he's come up there and he's commanded the fastball uh, very, very well, and, and the off-speed has played. Uh, so I think he's going to be just fine, and um, it's fun to, to have him come up here and, and get off to a good start. I know it's probably going to help him relax a little bit and just pitch. And another guy who's come up to AAA who at one time was probably one of the Rays' higher-level prospects, and then injuries kind of uh, took him off the radar a little bit, but it looks like by the numbers he's played very well for you since getting his first AAA chance, and that's utility player Jake Hager. Yeah, Jake. Uh, Jake's come up here and, and, and hasn't missed a beat. He's come up here and swung the bat very, very well. I uh, wasn't intimidated by the AAA level. He, he feels like he belongs. He's playing with a lot of confidence, and he knows the situation where you know there's other guys that have to play shortstop, there's other guys that have to play second base. So he's gonna have to move around a little bit. So he's played some third base, and uh, defense has been solid. And uh, he's just he's been all over the lineup for us. And and you know when he gets that fastball, it doesn't matter what the velocity is, uh, he, he's going to be able to uh, hit it and hit it pretty good. He's still making some adjustments to the secondary pitches, especially in some hitters' counts, but I think he's going to be just fine. He's a, uh, a very uh, good student of the game, and you know there's a reason why he was drafted in the first round like he was, and he's got some, got some tools, and there's a chance that uh, he'll be able to play in the big leagues, hopefully, for a long time. I know he's a terrific kid. How, how has he been? You mentioned moving around. How has he been in terms of his movement defensively, uh, having missed him all, uh, all of last year with a knee injury? No issues whatsoever. I mean, he's, uh, he's fully healthy. I know um, we're trying to take it a little bit easy just because he has been out for a little while and, and uh, you know, give him five, six uh, days in a row of playing and then, then uh, give him a day off, and he, you know he's chomping the pit. He doesn't want the day days off. He just wants to play, and uh, he's moving around just fine. He's uh, able to run, steal some bases. So um, you know, for me, not being able to see him play uh, very much throughout his career, and now uh, to see him play, I don't, I don't see any um, you know ill effects from the injury. That's great stuff, and great to hear. One other guy I wanted to touch on before we go, Jared, and that's uh, Jamie Schultz. I know he did make the All-Star team, but I know he's well thought of by the organization and has certainly had some terrific moments in his first season in AAA on the mound. Yeah, he's had a, a fantastic season so far. Um, the, the fastball is, is magical, um, you know, up in the upper 90s, uh, especially out of the starting role. Uh, sometimes uh, he tended to get off to some slow starts, but you know he was able to not only physically but also mentally be able to grind through some some of those starts and, and pitch deep into the games. Fastball command was uh, also an issue for him coming to AAA and and uh, you know the walk totals and all that stuff. And he's put all that behind him. You know he's throwing strikes, uh, he's he's throwing his changeup uh, very very well, and the curveball I know uh, has gotten better since he's been here. He's putting some good work with Kyle Snyder and. Um, uh, and that's that's worked very well for him. So he's he's off to a good start. And, you know, it's it's a little frustrating that he didn't make the All Star team, but uh, with 
where our team is in the standings. It's also understanding that uh, only so many players can make it. Um, so he's uh, he was what he was also deserving of making the All Star team, and he's pitched very well this year. Jared, great stuff. Uh, best of luck today in Norfolk, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. Again, that's the Durham manager, Jared Sandberg. Now, this week there were three players in the race system who are named to the Futures game, and all are in AA Montgomery. Willie Adamas and pitchers Chi Wei Hu and Ryan Stanek, and I caught up with Montgomery's hitting coach, Dan DeMent, to discuss what makes Adamas special. There's so many things that make that kid special. He's um, at 20 years old. He's, uh, he's very mature. He's a very mature baseball player. Um, in the sense that, uh, you know, he, he doesn't let things, he doesn't let adversity affect him. You know, he, he just, he's, he's able to turn the page quicker than, than most. And to do that at 20 years old is, uh, is, is really a special thing to have. It's just a joy to be around that kid on a daily basis. How about his skill set as a hitter? What, what are the talents that you most appreciate about him and about his work ethic on a day-to-day basis? I mean, he's, he's, he's a really good worker. He's a really good worker. Um, you know, this year we've uh, developed a, a good routine, a daily routine that, that's important for his preparation on a daily basis, and, it, and it's paid off. You know, and as, as far as, uh, what, you know, what kind of hitter he is, uh, he, he's just he's come so far. He's, he's second in the league in walks right now. Him and, and Jake Bowers are right there uh, neck and neck, and Casey Gillespie was, was leading it. And to have him being 20 years old and Jake also – uh, to be leading the league, uh, the Southern League, and, and at the Double A level and walks is, is unbelievable. It's not something that we preach. It's not something that we had a goal of in the beginning of the year. But he's he's taking what they give him for the most part. He's got good raw power. He's right now he's a, a gap to gap, a gap power guy. With um, but you know he shows really good raw power and uh, and I think that. Yeah, when he grows into that body, uh, he, he's going to have some power one day. And it seems like he's got a little flair for the dramatic, too. I know he came off the bench one day in the first half, had a pinch hit, walk-off home run. It seems like he's had some big hits late in games during the course of the season, too. Is that his M.O.? Oh, I, I tell you what, it, it's funny because it's, it's almost like he lives for those situations. And every time he gets in that situation, no matter what, he locks in and gets the job done. It's, um, it's fun to watch, and it's crazy because you can have a few bad at bats against average pitching, get in the bullpen against one of their better arms, guys that have good stuff, and lock in and get the job done. It's crazy. It's just something that he has inside him. And um, he's got a knack. He's a winner. He's a great teammate, and he wants to win. And, you know, he never he never sulks when, when things go go bad. He's always uh, positive and, and never takes his offense defense, which is, is really nice to see and from that standpoint how has the defense been and how has he grown as a shortstop his defense has been really good you know he's, he's improved immensely since the beginning of the year just being catching the routine balls and making the routine out every time a ground ball hits him we're all real confident we almost don't even have to look it's, he's gonna make the play he's not real flashy he doesn't try to be flashy he just gets the job done and that is Montgomery hitting coach Dan DeMent on Willie Adamas making the Futures game. I also spoke with Biscuits pitching coach R.G. Lichtenstein on Shiway Hu and Ryan Stanek receiving the same honor, touching first on Hu. You know, his competitiveness is probably the thing that sticks out the most. He's a kid who really puts in a, a solid day's work and, and works real hard to not only 
get into the transition of speaking English, which which is new to him over the last couple of years, but just understanding the game and understanding how to beat hitters. Uh, he works real hard at his craft uh, and, and is meticulous in his work trying to get ready and be prepared so that every five days he has a chance to compete and, 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 and be as good as he's been this year. How about the stuff that he possesses? What are his strengths? Most of us have not seen him pitch yet. You know, he, he commands the ball very well. His fastball command, he works down at the bottom of the zone as good as anybody on our staff. Uh, he locates both sides of the plate. He's got some good carry at the top of the zone, so he can he can beat hitters at the bottom of the zone and at the top of the zone. Um, and he's got a good array of pitches. He's got a nice changeup that he can use at any time. Uh, his curveball is probably an early count pitch that is strike pitch that he'll use to, to soften the zone and separate speed. And slider is a developmental pitch right now that's probably the biggest key to his year of development, so to speak. He's He's trying to develop that to be a two-strike offering to go along with the fastball command and the change-up to give him three above-average pitches. And his ability to be an impact rotation guy at the big league level will be uh, contingent on his ability to develop the slider to be a consistent two-strike pitch. On the other side, you've got more of a, a power guy who just also was named to the Futures game in Ryan Stanek. He went from starter to reliever about a half dozen appearances ago, and the numbers are eye-popping. Uh, what if, what can you say about his year? The stuff is eye popping. That's you know I had Ryan at the end of last year and, and you know we had to shut him down with the shoulder for a little bit. He had some aches throughout his time with the Rays. He's just dealt with durability issues and, and being healthy. And when we put him in the bullpen last year, he started to flash what we thought was some of the stuff we must have seen when we drafted him number one out of Arkansas. Uh, he was up at ninety six, sitting ninety four. Uh, and everything looked really impressive. His slider got a little sharper. And, and for me, even though we put him there out of, out of necessity because of the injury, and it made sense, I kind of saw a glimpse of the future. Um, when he showed up for spring training this year, he just looked like a different animal. He looked healthy. He looked confident. Uh, and from the first bullpen we saw in Port Charlotte, uh, the ball was just exploding out of his hand. And all of a sudden, we see him up at 97, his first start of the year, he touches 100 and, and, and sits uh, consistently at 97. Um, and that was after I was with him in the, the last preseason game where we had the split squad, mm-hmm. and we went to Lakeland, and he topped, he hit 101 on the gun in Lakeland and pitched you know four innings and, and uh, faced their starting lineup against the Tigers. And that kind of, I think that was really a confidence boost for him. And... His stuff in the rotation was explosive the first time through the order. He would dominate hitters, and he would he would embarrass them. And then eventually, as a starter going 100 pitches, you can't keep that adrenaline rush going, and, and the stuff just isn't quite as sharp. It's still really good, but it doesn't have that same ability to embarrass a hitter, and good hitters that third time through start to cheat a little bit. So with him, it just started to make sense that he really would – you know, he'd punch out nine guys in a game, but seven of them were the first time through the order. And so in talking with uh, Dick Bosman and Dewey Robinson and Mitch Lukovic, uh, I, I recommended that we put him in the pen when the chance, you know, when it, when it became available. And uh, to the credit of the organization, they made the move, and, and he's really been fun to watch since, topping off, sitting 90, 98, 99, um, and really, you know, doing what we thought he would do and, and – embarrassing hitters and and showing real dominant stuff for short spurts 
And that's Montgomery pitching coach R.C. Lichtenstein on the Futures game reps, Ryan Stanek and Chi Wei Hu, the Futures game a week from today. We'll have more on this week in race baseball after this on the Race Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. I'm Neil Solans. This week, David Price faced the Rays for the first time in a Boston uniform, and I sat down with Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe to see what Price's adjustment has been like. I think it's been a tough adjustment. I mean, he would say otherwise that, it's, uh, you know, he's just mislocating pitches and things like that. But uh, he's had uh, probably more stinkers this year than he would normally have had at this, at this point in the season. And uh Probably doesn't have this many during the course of any season. Uh, so I think the adjustment period's been tough for him. And, and a couple of factors, obviously, the big contract, the the biggest, uh, you know, contract for a pitcher ever, pretty much. And, uh, uh, you know, the Boston market, uh, you know, often heard that uh, guys who come to New York or Boston, you know, have a tough time that first year. And, and uh, we certainly witnessed that in Boston with Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez that first year. And maybe David's going through that same kind of thing with the Red Sox so far. And you can even go back to Carl Crawford, who certainly is a very different personality from a David Price, but it is certainly an adjustment going from a smaller market, whether it's Tampa Bay or Detroit or even Toronto. The, the media attention's a lot different. How has he handled all that? I know that he generally has been... David has always been media friendly. Yeah, I, I agree. He's uh, he's been great with the media. I mean, he's very accountable for his bad outings, and uh, he's always there to talk uh, whether he's pitching or not pitching. You know, a lot of pitchers kind of hide during the week, and uh, he's he's always right near his locker, ready to talk to anybody who wants to talk to him. So he's very good that way. I think one of the things that, at least from an outsider's perspective, the hope was David not only would be a number one, but he has the reputation of influencing in a positive way young starters and we saw in the first game of the Boston series the tough time that Eduardo Rodriguez has had this season and then he was subsequently optioned down after the game are you surprised that the influence is is not I guess yielded results uh, for some of the other younger pitchers yeah in a way I am I but I think when you're struggling yourself you know it's hard to for anything to rub off and and Eduardo's case you know he's been away from the team more than he's been with it, you know, especially being on the DL and then doing his rehab work in Pawtucket. And uh, so he hasn't been around David all that much, you know. So I think once he comes back and is able to establish himself a little better, I think David will be an influence on him. Um, It's just been (laughs) one of those crazy years with the Sox pitching staff. They just have not done the job, and and, uh, you can't blame that on David. And and you look at the rotation, the biggest surprise has been a guy who wasn't supposed to be in the rotation to begin with in Steven Wright, and I don't know who's an influence on a knuckleballer. I mean, as you know, those can come and go at times. Yeah, he's really been something. I mean, uh, he's had maybe two bad outings. His last one wasn't very good. Um, but um, I've just seen this evolution of of this guy. Um, you know, the Red Sox just got him for Lars Anderson. They had no expectations for him whatsoever, really, when they obtained him. And he's just gotten better and better with that knuckleball, learned how to, how to use it. Now he has a 10-mile a variation between the three knuckleballs he has. He throws his fastball at 86 to 88 miles an hour and throws a curveball. So he's not afraid to challenge guys with his fastball. Very different kind of knuckleballer. Um, just wants to throw strikes. Uh, is not afraid of anything. Does absolutely no video work and no sc- he just goes out there and throws the ball. 
It's certainly different, and it works for him, or at least has worked to this point in the year. You know, you mentioned the Red Sox issues with the rotation, but you can take a look around this division and say that there hasn't been a dominant rotation. I mean, the Yankees have had their issues. The Orioles, aside from Chris Tillman, most of the guys as a group are averaging nearly a 5 ERA, and Marcus Stroman has struggled at the top of the rotation for Toronto, and there really hasn't been a dominant starter, although Jay Happ has been good. I mean, the question is, okay, which rotation is going to find its way in this division? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, as you said, Toronto, uh, you know, Stroman has had his problems. They've probably pitched the best of anybody, uh, you know, in in the uh, division. But um, they all need that one more starter, at least one more starter in their rotations. And I think... If some of, if someone can get that guy, um, they're, they're going to be above the pack. I mean, Toronto did it with Price last year, and uh, it, whoever does it this year, although there's no Price out there to be to be had, really, um, uh, is going to do it. But uh, it's it's an offensive division. There's no question about that. They bash the ball, and the Red Sox were just winning games uh, incredibly first two months of the year with their offense, uh, even though they still had pitching problems, and those pitching problems has have, have remained. Uh, and their offense has gone down a little bit. So that's why they're struggling. And you take a look at this division. Boston would seem to be best positioned in terms of trying to acquire pitching because they do have, depending on where you read, five of the top 35 or 40 or 50 prospects in the game. How likely, based on David Dombrowski's reputation, uh, are you to see them make a move and acquire the pitching? And if so, who do you think is the most likely guy? You know, uh, I'm not sure that... Any of the people out there are worth getting. I mean, you're not going to get Jose Fernandez. You're not going to get Chris Sale. You might be able to get Sonny Gray, but even that's up in the air. So the type of guy you're going to get is like an Irvin Santana, for instance. I think he's the most realistic guy for any team to get, and he's more of a middle or back end type of star, a veteran pitcher who can definitely help you. So that's the kind of guy I think that the Red Sox, Orioles, Blue Jays will go after. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't give up one of my best prospects for him. You know, you might give up a couple of mid-level type guys, but you wouldn't give up your best guys for him. Well, certainly going to be an interesting watch. And, and uh, Nick, we appreciate a few minutes on this week in race baseball. Thank you very much. And that's Nick Cafardo with the Boston Globe. Now joining us from MLB.com and MLB Network to look at the national scene, Richard Justice. Richard, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to. Thank you for having me, Neil. First of all, the the thing that stands out to me uh, on this latest kind of checkpoint of the season is the fact that so many teams have large divisions, large division leads at this point. Is that what's most surprising to you in the American League? Yeah, it is, and Neil, and it's a reminder, and the leads are pretty large in the National League, too. It's a reminder that the wild card uh, berths have been a lifesaver. You still have uh, 20 teams uh, take out, uh, within the – three games, five games of a, of a playoff berth. So, you know, otherwise you'd have teams backing off and looking to re, re, uh, refigure for next year and all that. Instead, you've got teams that are say, hey, we're a five-game win streak away from being right back in this thing. Indeed. And you take a look at the three teams that are leading the American League divisions, Baltimore, Texas, and Cleveland. Obviously, Cleveland is the hottest team. Which one do you think is the best team right now of the three? Uh, you know, I, I, Cleveland's rotation, I think this is where you always start. Even in spring training, you look at Cleveland's rotation and said they might be as good as the Mets, and they're just airtight. They're perfect. They're, both, they're on a roll now where everything is clicking. Chisholm Hall's great, Kipnis. But I think their pitching is so good that they're the best team. Now, you know, October is a reset button. It's who's healthy, who's rested, all of that. So October is different. But right now, they're the team position 
best to do well. Texas has uh, three starting pitchers on the disabled list. I think they're going to go out and try to get a starting pitcher somewhere. Uh, but, you know, they have the best record in the league. Baltimore, I don't know how they're doing it, Neil. I mean, you know, they were – you and I saw them in spring training. They were a mess. Even if you look at their rotation now, you say, I don't get it. They, they hit 56 home runs in June. It was like they, the Indians and in, in the Orioles, it's like they're, I mean, the Indians and the Orioles are not even playing the same sport. You know, they do it in such a different way. But at some point you have to look at it and say, okay, they're winning. Boston has some pitching issues. Toronto has some pitching issues. So, you know, maybe there's a different way to skin a cat in this case. I'll tell you the one thing that is similar, though, between Cleveland and Baltimore, they catch the ball extremely well. And, you know, Bucks teams, I know they rely very heavily on the homer, but their bullpen is great and they're fundamentally sound. You're absolutely right. You know, when you have Adam Jones in the center and you have J.J. Hardy at shortstop, you have Matt Wieters behind the play, you have a, the foundation uh, of a great defense. And then the third baseman, Manny Machado, is one of the great players of this generation. And a player, you know, like, it's sacrilegious to say in Baltimore, but he makes plays that reminds you of Brooks Robinson. Mm-hmm. So, so you're absolutely right. And the bullpen is great, even though they've got some injuries now. And no manager in baseball manages the bullpen. Uh, better than Buck Showalter. So, yeah, you know, while it's easy to go, okay, maybe not the greatest rotation in the world, at the same time they look at it and say, okay, if Tillman and Gosman and Gallardo are going good down the stretch, hey, we can go into October and we can win a series. Indeed. And, you know, you look at all the other teams that are now fighting, at least it would appear at this point for wild card spots. Certainly someone could get hot and catch one of Baltimore and Texas and Cleveland. But, among the wild card teams, either that are at the top or chasing, who do you like most right now, and why? Um, I think there are teams that are pieces away. I, I think Kansas City. I, you know, a lot of injuries they haven't dealt with before. I like Detroit playing better, but I would just say today, I, I would go with the Red Sox and the Astros. The Astros are seven and seventeen in April, seventeen and twenty-eight on May twenty-second and have just completely turned it around. And now their rotation is turning out quality stars. Altuve is having an MVP-type season. Boston may be a starting pitcher short from winning the AL East, but they're going to be very aggressive in trying to get a starting pitcher. And all the other teams you like, there are things you like about Toronto, but there are things that give you pause, too. So I would take a Red Sox-Astros wildcard game if the season, you know, if I had to pick today. Certainly it would be entertaining. You mentioned Boston being a pitcher away. You mentioned Texas you think may go out and get a starting pitcher. Among the American League teams, are they the ones that will be most aggressive? And if so, why? Well, I think a lot of teams will be aggressive. I think Baltimore will be aggressive. I think what's different is Texas has a very deep farm system. Texas really has too many players that are major league ready right now. So they're in a great position uh, to go get a guy. Now, you know, then you say, well, who's the guy? You know, mm-hmm. Sonny Gray had another t- has had another tough start the last time out. Maybe the Padres trade Drew Pomerantz. Maybe the Rays make somebody available, something like that. But I think they're – I'm not sure that there's going to be this wholesale exchange of pitching because so many teams are in it. Uh, and I think Boston has enough players in the farm system to make a deal. Baltimore wants pitching, uh, but to Baltimore's farm system is a little more shallow. You know, when teams trade a big league pitcher – they want guys that are close to being big league ready. I think Baltimore has guys that they like, that teams like, but maybe they're two years away, and that sometimes is a tough sell. Richard, and we're speaking with Richard Justice of MLB.com. What do you think of the predicaments that both Toronto and New York are in? Because 
You know, the Blue Jays, you could see their windows closing if Bautista and Encarnacion don't re-sign. And the Yankees have this great, you know, triumvirate in their bullpen and some older pieces. What do they do? I, you know what I think the Yankees are going to do? I think they're going to stay the course. And I don't think they're going to trade Andrew Miller or Aralus Chapman. I don't think it's in their DA to take a step back. Now, you know, things can look a lot different uh, on the August 1 trade deadline. But I, I just think I think what they've done, they're pushing the organizational reset button. They, they have said, Hal Steinbrenner has said several times, we don't have to have, we should not have to have a $200 million payroll to win the World Series. I, I think the rank of the last 10 World Series champions has been seventh or eighth, something right in there. So it's not strictly about money. So they, the Yankees have held a, dis, a nice disciplinary line in terms of staying away from older guys. we got to get younger. But you know what that means? You know, that means you got to draft well. And I mm-hmm. think that you can look at them one day and say, okay, Aaron Judge, Greg Bird, who will be back next year, James Caprilli, and all these guys, they're not that far away. There is an influx of talent coming. But, you know, young players don't come with guarantees, and they don't all come at the same same rate. I think Toronto's in sort of a similar situation in that are they good enough to win this year? They may be a reliever, sure. I, you know, I, I look at them different ways. they got to get Bautista back on the field. It's clear. That is Richard Justice of MLB.com, and we certainly thank Richard and all of our guests on today's show, including shortstop Brad Miller, Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun, Durham manager Jared Sandberg, the Montgomery hitting coach Dan DeMent, and their pitching coach R.J. Lichtenstein, and also Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe. Special thanks as well to our producer John Milo. Next week, get to know more about Brandon Geyer. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, tweet me at Neil Solons. Coming up, the Rays pregame show on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Driven in the air to center field. Kiermaier going back at the wall, jumps up, and makes the catch. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. Swinging a high fly ball to right field. Back to the wall, and it's gone. Home run. Opposite field homer for Logan Forsyth, and we're all tied. Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.